Hello and welcome to another episode of Silicon Luxembourg's original podcast, In Conversation With. Our today's guests are Mark Curtis and Martin Wolfram. Mark Curtis is the Head of Innovation and Thought Leadership at Accenture Interactive. Martin is the Country Managing Director of Accenture Luxembourg. Together, we're discussing the Fjord Trends 2021, a special report that gets published by Fjord each year. Fjord is part of Accenture Interactive. As a design and innovation consultancy, it reimagines people's relationships with the digital and physical world around them. Each year, Accenture Interactive crowdsources trends in business, technology, and design for the coming year from its global design network of 2,000-plus creatives in more than 40 locations. Fjord Trends 2021 focuses on how people, organizations, and brands are meeting human needs. This year's report is providing practical advice on how organizations can help shape the 21st century renaissance by analyzing seven emerging trends expected to shape business, consumer behavior, and society. To read the report, visit Accenture.com slash Fjordtrends21. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Accenture Luxembourg. And now let's jump right into the conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Martin and Mark. Thanks a lot for being with us today for the Silicon Luxembourg podcast, talking about the Fjord trends, talking about innovation as a broader theme. Martin, if I may ask you just to quickly introduce yourself and uh, also our other guests and the topic of today. Yeah, thanks, Torg. It's a pleasure. And hello, everyone. My name is Martin Wolfram. I'm the Country Managing Director of Accenture Luxembourg. I'm really pleased being here today and as well uh, having Mark Curtis with us, uh, who will run us uh, a bit more in detail through the floor trends 2021. I mean, what we have seen last year um, were really key changes in the in the world, in the ecosystem. And uh, our objective at Accenture is really having meaningful conversations with the Luxembourg society, uh, with our clients, as well as with our people, finding solutions and as well being part of the solution. Um, COVID-19, I mean, we have to see it as a, as a crisis, which is affecting the entire economies and the society function as a whole. And uh, perhaps more than ever, the, the Fjord Trends 2021, our annual report from Accenture's Interactive's Global Network of Designers and Creatives is providing here real insight and food for thought. I personally, I witnessed now three crises, and I have to say there is maybe one pattern I, I see coming. It's, um, it's you can call it a, a clearance. It's, uh, it's a new plateau, or you can as well see it as a new area of thinking, which is beginning. And the pure trends 2021, they actually confirm that this is happening right now. There's a lot of unexplored in the future, and uh, potentially this is for some a bit scary, but still there is a huge part of excitement which is ahead of us. And in this new world, I mean, businesses are changing. I mean, they are taking new patterns. They are taking new, going into new business models, new ways of thinking and uh, doing things differently. And we have here a unique opportunity to map out new territory and as we embrace new strategies, services, and experiences to meet evolving human needs. And I have to say, I, I do believe that this um, will be the blueprint for the decade to come. And uh, would like to hand over to you, Mark. Thank you, Martin. Thanks a lot. And great to have you on the show, Mark. Uh, may I ask you just to briefly give us also a quick pitch about who you are and what your role is within Accenture with regard to the Fjord Trends? I can, and, and thanks, Martin, as well. 
So my role at Accenture is that I'm head of thought leadership and innovation for Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is the part of Accenture which focuses on experiences, both for customers and employees. And as part of my role, and I have actually been doing this for um, well over 10 years now, I lead the production of our annual Fjord Trends. I was actually a founder of Fjord back in 2001 and I joined Accenture because we sold Fjord to Accenture in, in 20, 2013. And of course, we bought with us Fjord Trends, uh, which already had you know fairly significant market impact then. And, and that's really doubled down since we became part of Accenture. Very interesting. I'd actually like to dig a bit deeper there right away. So innovation is really, I would say, the key word here when talking about the field trends. And I would like to ask you a personal question, Mark. So what does innovation mean to you? So innovation means to me, it's the putting together of two things that didn't belong together before to make something new and meaningful. I think there's a, there is a sort of caveat. Well, no, there is, a, there is something one tends to add on to that when you're talking about innovation in the business context which that it's new and meaningful and and is capable of making money. I think that's that's the add-on. But but for me it's it's a putting together of things which which often have been in existence already. It's just nobody has put together those particular ideas or things or concepts in that particular format before. And that in itself creates something new. I love listening to stories of innovation in music and the arts in particular. Um, and I was actually listening to a podcast about, about music yesterday, and, and somebody in that made, a very, made an excellent point. There is nothing new in music. It's all been done before. It's about how you put together the stuff that's been done before into a new format or a new thing, and that's how music develops. And for me, innovation is, is very similar. That's a very interesting uh, definition. Thanks a lot for that. I have never heard it put into words like this before. It's, it's great. I like the, the beautiful part about it. And then actually, you just briefly mentioned already that you've founded Fjord. And prior to the conversation, I checked your track record, let's say. And since Silicon Luxembourg is all focused about startups and entrepreneurship, it's quite impressive to see what you've managed to build or which type of companies you've managed over the past 30 years. So could you just briefly also describe that for our listeners? Like what type of companies have you built yourself in the last 30 years? Sure. So the first company that I started, I started when I was 29. And that was in the UK. And um, what we were doing is we were pulling together a new way of um, delivering promotions across independent commercial radio in the UK, which at that time was going through an absolute explosion. And I spotted an opportunity to develop an entirely new style of marketing through independent radio based on promotions, both physical and on the radio as well. This is, of course, pre-digital age. And that company took off pretty quickly um, and was, was very successful. And then in the middle of doing that, I read an article in The Economist about the internet and what was happening with technology in 1993. And I became obsessed with that. So we set up an offshoot to the original company. And that one, like a cuckoo, sort of outgrew the nest pretty quickly. The original company stayed with my founding, my other founding partner on that. And myself and, and, and a guy called Mike Beeston set up a company called CHBI. We, we were one of the first digital agencies in London. In 1998, the American agencies that were, you know, had started earlier and were bigger and better funded than the UK agencies came shopping in London and we were acquired by Razorfish very happily. 
So I stayed there for three years um, until the internet winter set in, in in 2001. And we left, myself, Mike, and, and another colleague called Olaf Schiebergsen, we left and, and we set up Fjord in 2001, mid-2001, actually almost exactly 20 years ago, in, in what was the sort of teeth of a gale because nobody really believed digital was going anywhere, the dot-com crash had happened, etc. But we had this vision about where design would go the design of experiences. Um, and we stuck with it and it was proved to be very successful. Um, in the middle of that, I also, we set up another company, um, a mobile dating company, which kind of happened by accident because we invented the idea for a client who loved it, but decided that, um, they didn't want to do it, but they did want, they knew somebody who wanted to invest in it. So we found investment and, um, you know, often with consulting companies, they sort of daydream about making money while they sleep uh, and becoming product companies. And so we we followed that daydream and we set up this company and I spent five years running that and raising about $11 million from VCs, which was one of the most toughest but most interesting parts of my career was driving a product company, a, a product startup. And I came back to Fjord in 2012 and re-engaged as chief client officer. I mean, I'd, le- I'd never left the board of Fjord. Um, and then we sold the company to Accenture a year later. And, and so that's been my, my company growing career, um, three or four different companies over that time. Okay, great. Yeah, that's uh, very exciting. Just one more follow-up question to that, actually, before um, jumping into the Fjord Trends Report. How has your experience of being at the forefront of digital innovation shaped the Fjord Trends Reports over the years? So what type of patterns did you maybe recognize or is there a certain insight that you gained while innovating yourself that influenced the results of the report over the years? Yeah, I don't think what I'm about to say is particularly novel because a lot of people are reflecting on the same thing. But what I saw was the interesting interaction between humans, technology and business. And, and that, I mean, I actually didn't realize that that's what I found interesting until only a few years ago when I, I scanned back over my career and thought, well, that's a really weird career. You know, how did, how did that all happen? <laughs> um, 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 was there a common theme? And it turns out when I look back at what I've done, the common theme, well, since kind of the, yeah, since, since that small start of the promotion startup where we began to use technology a lot, was I became really interested in the potential of technology, but always with the angle um, with the human angle to it, and of course, increasingly with the business angle, because you know, you, eventually reality sinks in. You realize that you know you or your clients have to make money somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's and, and and running the startup, the the mobile dating startup. Actually, it was a flirting startup. That was our key insight. Was that when dating went mobile, it would turn into flirting, and I think we were absolutely proved right in that. Mm-hmm. So one of the key insights I got from that was, was I understood better how to make money out of digital products and services mm-hmm. and the intersection between human behavior and making money and technology. And that, I think, is, is something which definitely feeds through into the way in which we think about and write trends. Mm-hmm. Then let's actually dive deeper into the trends. So, Mark, after one year of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
your recently published uh, field trends report for 2021 takes an optimistic view of the changes caused by the pandemic, rather viewing them as an opportunity for brands and society as a whole. And uh, well, can you tell me more about this? Like, how can brands have a meaningful impact on people's lives right now? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, I don't think there's an alternative to taking an optimistic view. So, you know, what exactly are we going to do with a pessimistic view? How's that going to help? Um, it isn't. So, I think we absolutely have to have to have to look at the future and say, right now, let's be optimistic about it. I, I just I can't I can't envisage philosophically why you would go down any alternative. I think the second is that the landscape of what we see in front of us has changed dramatically because of what happened in 2020. And that landscape has changed a lot of assumptions about the way in which humans behave, the way in which customers do things, the way in which organizations should behave. And all of that feels strongly to us like a brand new landscape is opening up ahead of us. And we have, I think, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to um, to rethink that landscape and to rethink what it means and to redesign it. Um, and that's why we talk about mapping new territory, because um, to a degree, there is a blank canvas ahead of us. And, and again, I think the only way to approach that is with optimism. Then I think the third thing that has happened has been that the companies have um, risen to the they've risen to the challenge of COVID, uh, sometimes poorly, but often in actually magnificent ways. We've seen companies both, you know, double down on their efforts to make sure that, for example, telcos that we have the bandwidth available at home so that we can do remote working. We've seen, you know, clothing companies adapt to make. Um, personal protective equipment for frontline healthcare workers. We've seen breweries adapt to make hand sanitizer. I mean, some of that now feels like that's, you know, what happened in March, April last year, and that's true. But what companies did was that they recognized many companies, not all, but certainly the ones that we talk about, they recognized that the pandemic they had to rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was that their purpose was beyond just making money. Their purpose was a more societal one. Yep. Now, that actually chimes in with what we talked about the year before and actually been talking about for some years now in trends, which is the increasing importance of purpose in the way in which companies think about themselves and the way in which their consumers and actually most especially their employees think about them as well. So when you put those three things together, that's why we look at the year ahead and we say there is an opportunity here to approach things in an optimistic mood. Actually, I'm going to add a fourth thing here as well, which is that with so much change going on, and, and to a degree, even yesterday with a bunch of you know uh, people at Accenture, we were discussing the use of the word chaos and whether that was actually an appropriate word to describe the degree of change out there. And, and it, it may indeed be. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not sure whether we should talk about chaos or not, because it's quite a threatening word. But with that degree of change going on, that actually opens up opportunity space for organizations. Yeah, definitely. 
And again, if you're approaching this in a pessimistic point of view, you're not going to take advantage of that opportunity space. Yeah, very true. And before asking the, the next question to both of you, actually, Martin and Mark, I quickly wanted to also run through um, or name the, the seven trends that you identified as emerging trends for the 21st century now for shaping business consumer behavior and society in the next few years. So there's those seven fuel trends and it starts, you started the report this year with trend number one, which is collective displacement. Then number two is do-it-yourself innovation, followed by sweet teams are made of this, uh, interaction wanderlusts, liquid infrastructure, empathy challenge, and rituals lost and found. So all of these at first sight, they don't give away too much yet. And that's why I would like to ask, which trends are you personally uh, most excited about? So whatever you pick, but have you already come across a particular example, like any company or brand or startup that's already innovating in that particular area of the trend that you're most excited about? Martin, you could perhaps start with this one. Yeah, I personally have to say, I'm, I'm really excited about the mapping out new territory. I mean, this is really something I see and, and, and I feel. I mean, the trend as such is not going into a product or service, but what we really see, the, the players in the ecosystem, they, they understand the situation. They take this as well as a chance. I mean, they have to redefine and reinvent uh, to a certain uh, extent themselves. And uh, what I really see in Luxembourg, the, let's say, the me only as an entity, this time is over, yeah? Companies are really looking into partnerships. They are looking into ecosystem plays. They are looking into fintechs who can, who can be brought in. And it's, it's really, it's opening up and they really understand it's now about speed. It's about time to market. It's about agility. And, uh, it's at the end as well. It's in, in a positive sense, let's say staying in the game or being part or catching up to the leaders. Because otherwise, I mean, the drawback would be if you if you do not uh, reinvent or strengthen your position right now, uh, you would be on the on the ladder, so which would be a pity. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And Mark, which which trend are you personally most excited about out of the seven? I'm going to give you two answers to that. The trend that I'm finding our clients the most interested in is sweet teams are made of this. Mm -hmm. They're excited about it because everybody can relate to it because the trend is about the need for us to re-examine the reciprocity that is the give and take between an organization and its employees. Mm -hmm. And and that, of course, speaks to the future of work, which is something which is on absolutely everybody's mind right now. So everyone can relate to future of work because actually it's what we do for eight plus hours a day. And therefore, you know, it's something personal for everyone. And I think everyone leans into that trend when I talk about it hugely. And, and probably I would say 50% of the questions I get after I present trends with clients is about that trend because everybody's thinking about how is work going to be shaped. And I like it because what we're saying in it is that we're going to be entering an era now of prototyping what work looks mm. like. And we have to actually get comfortable with that and accept the fact that we don't know exactly how to manage this new hybrid environment. And I think everybody accepts that it is going to be a hybrid environment with some working remotely, um, some working in an office, maybe some working in third spaces as well, 
which are not owned by an organization like WeWork, for example, or Regis. So that, that I think is very exciting. In terms of the, the other trend I really love is Interaction Wanderlust. Well, I, I love all of them. Um, but, 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 but Interaction Wanderlust, I think, is, is, is going to be one of the ones which we refer to again and again over the next two or three years because what is happening is a real upswing in interest in alternative ways of interacting digitally. That's happening because the sea of sameness of things that we're looking at day after day after day on screens is beginning to wear us down. It means that it's harder for organizations to differentiate. We've been traveling along rather templated modes, um, lines of design for some time now. That's partly the result of the, 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 the tram lines laid down by iOS and by Android. Um, but it's also because actually We've been designing things to make things easier for people. And one of the ways in which we do that and not make people have to put on more cognitive load every time they open a new app or go to a new website is to do things in a very similar way. So on an app or on a website, how you log in or how you check out or how you examine a range of clothing, for example, that's fairly similar from one website, one app to another. And there are good human reasons for that. But the challenge with that is that still creates this sameness. What we're seeing is the rise of particularly games-driven platforms or, 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 platform, or, or platforms driven by games engines, which are allowing for completely new kinds of interaction. And, and I, I mean, Peloton is a very good example of this, or Zwift, which is the cycling app I personally use on, on the indoor trainer at home. These have absolutely gone through the roof usage of these during the pandemic. But if you ask me, you know, for one particular sign of a company that is showing where this is going, I would point you at Roblox. Mm. So Roblox is not something most execs have thought about, except insofar as they might have been aware their kids were playing it on a games machine. But Roblox just IPO'd. Um, I think the last time I looked, the valuation was something like 65. Uh, it had really gone up, I think, I can't remember the exact numbers, but, it, but they, they basically IPO'd in, in, I think it was 65 billion. It was extraordinary valuation. Mm -hmm. Roblox has been around for a long time, but if you look at what the CEO is saying, and he's, he talks about it in the S1, he's talked about it on articles on LinkedIn, he's talking about something called the metaverse. And what's interesting about the metaverse is it's a place. And I think... And I'm not even sure we really understood this when we were writing Interaction Wanderlust, but I, we were right. But now I can see more clearly, and we probably should have said it in the copy, these are new places that people are going to go to. Yeah. And that, I think, there's another startup called Discord, which is heading in the same direction. Mm -hmm. This and, 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 of course, what we didn't know when we wrote it was Clubhouse. Yes. Clubhouse is a place as well. So this sense of live and place is becoming very big indeed, I think. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Quite exciting companies that you just mentioned there, actually. And yeah. and uh, in that regards, I quickly would like to shift the focus a bit more to Luxembourg because, uh, Martin, you just briefly mentioned already what developments you're, you're observing there in Luxembourg. So from your point of view, is there any of those seven trends that's particularly applicable to Luxembourg or even, you know, let's say Western Europe and in general? And how is Accenture Luxembourg tackling any of these seven trends this year? I see basically all trends affecting the, the ecosystem. This is one. 
The, the second point is the trend, what, what I said before. It's not, let's say, I do not see this translated in a, in a one-to-one, let's say, service or product. Mm-hmm. But what we discussed as well previously, the, I mean, the world is dramatically changing. Our clients, I mean, they, they do have to change. And it's really, today, it's about speed, agility, uh, changing the, the business model. And as such, we, we really try to be at the heart of this change. I mean, helping our clients, helping the ecosystem and, and really focusing and fostering on innovation and, and, and bringing this in. And then when, when I take this one step, let's say further coming a bit from the, from the service or from, from the product view from, from Accenture, what, what we are doing right now in helping our clients, we really focus on, on cloud. We focus on security, on data and on platforms. These are four key patterns which we see that then at the end. And if you see them, the interesting thing is if you, if you look at cloud, it doesn't work uh, without security. If you look at platform or ecosystem players, it does not work about, it does not work without cloud. And if you see um, as well data, I mean the same, the requirements here, it will as well require cloud. So all connected and intersected Mm -hmm. and that's basically what i see and last but not least i mean we we call it here very nicely the trends but for me it's much more i mean it's i I see this right now real Uh, and as well the change which is happening which did happen in the last year and uh, which is ahead of us is, is just massive yeah, I agree. I personally also agree. Like, I think the next 10 years will, you know, change the world even more than the last 10 years have already changed it. And especially with what Mark just um, briefly um, already, you know, touched up on, like the whole term, like the metaverse, and there's the non-fungible tokens that have been, you know, talked about in the last recent weeks uh, tremendously and, and how all of that is connected, how new forms of value creation will Will um, well hit the, the the reality, or we'll we'll see the light of happening now, and not just as you said, like trends in terms of maybe twenty years from now. But all these things are gonna become no, the new normal even even quicker, I think, in, in the next next few years. So I fully agree with that. Yeah, there's something interesting happening here, actually. Now I, I have to kind of because you really, I'm really glad you mentioned the non fungible tokens. I think what's happening is that we're seeing more and more things happening where we're trying to emulate in digital, the real world. Mm-hmm. So non-fungible tokens emulates rarity, yes. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there is only one painting. That, that I think is interesting. Clubhouse emulates live. It's basically, and a lot of what's happening is shifting towards live as opposed to asynchronous. And I think that's interesting as well. So I, I wonder whether there is a, a bit of a thing going on here where we're seeing this kind of meeting point between digital and real life, mm-hmm. where digital is increasingly picking up on some of the sort of main things of real life, you know, rarity, live, et cetera, et cetera, or synchronous, and then, and then, and then bringing them together. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's certainly one to watch, I think, over the next, that might be a trend for next year. Yeah, yeah, who knows, you know, and that, that kind of, I guess, also ties into the, um, you know, the sense of belonging. I think you mentioned this already, like, you know, like now having virtual places, also the trend number seven, rituals lost and found. I, th- I found that one to be quite interesting because you you don't just look at it, you know, from a, let's say, company perspective, like in the B2B sense, how you can maybe uh, have rituals within companies. Some of your clients, perhaps, they might ask you about, you know, how can we improve, let's say, 
virtual teamwork, right? So that'd be one aspect, but that's also one aspect that in the B2C world, well, everybody's a private individual, right? And 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 everybody has private rituals as well. And and those indeed got lost a bit. I hope we can refine some of them once, uh, you know, the vaccination efforts um, have really managed to succeed and, and that we will be able to meet physically again as well. But I, I do believe though that a lot of digital rituals will be implemented. And that for me is really always all about belonging, belonging to someone, belonging to an organization. You know, it might even be connected with uh, technologies um, where you take AR or VR and, and, and the metaverse and all of that, it will all come together. You know, you might even not just have hybrid offices, but you will have even hybrid private lives where you will meet people in person, but also you will meet people in your virtual space where you interact in, in you know, wherever you feel you, you belong to. And uh, that gives you a sense of meaning or, um, or even just fun and uh, entertainment, right? I think belonging is a massive point, and and one of the things I've been talking about the last couple of years is we do have a major crisis of relevance going on in the world. Mm. Um, people increasingly trying to understand why and how they are relevant, because so much is bigger than them, and so much is out of their control. And I think the COVID, the COVID has made that worse. So I think this relevance and belonging is something we'll definitely we need to be thinking about a lot over the next couple of years. Yeah. So just to maybe already try to wrap up a bit or just mentioning that there's only a few questions left. So to make it a bit more um, tangible, let's say from breaking down the trends to what will actually be asked of people, you know, in their work lives. So in terms of skills and so on, what changes do you expect to see in the IT industry this year or in the coming years, you know, in terms of profiles, like what will be most in demand? Will there be new jobs that we can't even imagine yet? Or what type of new companies will get created in, in, in the IT space in Luxembourg, but also globally? What, what are your thoughts on that? Perhaps, Martin, you could start with, again, what you're seeing in Luxembourg in that regard. Yeah, well, well a very, let's say, simple and straightforward question would be if you go on our website and look at the job postings. Right now, we're looking at cloud security, data engineers, um, agile scrum masters, uh, front backend developers. That's basically what 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 the demand is, and the and the demand as such is is really really huge. I mean, innovation is a topic. Uh, it's fully embedded in our clients. I mean, uh, we have the chief innovation officer. Uh, our clients are much more open. I would even say, I mean, they are demanding. They are really requesting uh, as well innovation to come. They want to see the startups. They do understand with, with the changes and with the required, let's say, uh, speed and agility they have to bring in. They cannot uh, focus on all, on all of these needs themselves. Yeah. So here I can only encourage any startup uh, continue pushing see clients. I mean, there are a lot of, let's say, events and platforms in Luxembourg to, to position. And I see here a very, very good, let's say, openness and willingness of the entire ecosystem to, uh, to collaborate here. And I mean, as I said before, the, the change is now, which is ahead of us, is huge. And as such, the, uh, the demand on the IT capabilities and skills and then the, the new ideas to come is as well um, massive. Mm -hmm. And Mark, how do you look at it from a more global perspective, perhaps? Well, actually, I, I, I don't need to be more global. I think <clears throat> Martin's answered the question extremely well from both a Luxembourg and a global perspective mm -hmm. because we're seeing exactly the same things. And, and it was interesting, the first word he used was cloud, and that would be the first word I would use as well. Um, we're seeing a, a massive demand for 
engineers, experts, but beyond engineers, also people who just understand what the cloud can do and what its affordances are. And I would take that a little bit further. Cloud is a, is effectively a modern creative canvas mm. and allows us to do, is going to allow us to do new things at speed and, and innovate and, you know, do exactly what I said, put things together in a, at the beginning, put things together that didn't belong together before in new and creative ways. And, and cloud is a place where you're going to have those things and you're going to find those things and you're going to be able to put them together. So I think I would add on to what Martin said, a requirement for, um, at a, at a specific level, product managers who understand how to work with technology, uh, to invent, reinvent and improve products at speed. But I would also say much more broadly than that as an overall workforce destination getting us to a place where using the cloud is only one mental click away for everybody in the same way that you get to work and, you know, you put your mobile away, but the last thing you do is, you you know, you switch off Spotify and you've been using the cloud, but you don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And you use the cloud on your phone again and again without really thinking about it. So we need a similar approach at work. And so I, so I'm just sort of, Martin talked about some very specific things and I agree with him completely. I've added a couple to those, particularly, you know, products, that product mindset, but at a very broad level, it's actually about shifting talent base all around to be familiar, comfortable and using the cloud for what we believe it's good good for. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, One other thing I'd add into this, which is happening fast now, is sustainability experts. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I would definitely be advising my children if they're going to university, if you can study sustainability, do so, because there's going to be huge demand for people who really understand it. That's that's very interesting. You know, I I just quick personal side note on that. Like I worked in, you know, a sustainability focused industry uh, 10 years ago when I started out my career. And back then it was really just something that was always kind of, well, how do you say that? It had a bad connotation to it because everybody looked at it from more of a greenwashing perspective back in the day. But a decade later, I'm very happy to see that things finally, you know, uh, start clicking now and people understand the value creation that's behind it and that it's not just a nice to have, but a must have. And that the integration or the more and more, um, you know, the increasing uh, immersion, let's say, almost between both aspects, the tech field and the sustainability field that will also unlock, I think, lots of potentials that our global society still has. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting things happening in the sustainability field enabled through tech, which was not existing yet 10 years ago. So the tech part actually, I think, unlocks sustainability field more and more. And you just mentioned your children. So and and maybe just to both of you as the final, uh, well, one or two questions, actually. So on the one hand, I would like to know from both of you if there's maybe one piece of advice that you would like to give to any aspiring founder out there that's listening to this episode, like, on the one at what trends should they examine perhaps closer in order to build innovative, impactful companies in the coming years, according to your seven fjord trends of 2021? That's like the one thing that what would you what advice would you give? And on the other hand, perhaps to end it on a more futuristic or hopeful note, like what's your personal hope for the future? Like what does the future hold for today's children in terms of innovation? And perhaps how both of these questions are kind of connected. Martin, you could start. What what should founders do so that the future is hopeful? 
Yeah, maybe two elements uh, looking at this question. I mean, there's a simple one. It's 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 looking at the companies where there is a need or let's say where there is an area, let's say, of, of non-core where the startup can, let's say, easily, let's say, um, have a value or playground or, or enter in. And the second, what we what we today see, what what uh, I mentioned, I mean, companies are really looking at, at new business models and new services and, and things that they can bring up. And, and this is really opening up. I mean, a bank today is, is completely differently looking at uh, distribution. They are looking at, at new, let's say, products. And, and there are a lot of elements. Again, it, it comes, the cloud is the means, but we do need the data. Then we have to see how can we create a product out of the data? How do we go to market? How do we market? So there is an uh, immense, let's say, upscale at the end of the day. And there is a lot of, let's say, space. So from two angles, a bit into the new products. And the second one, obviously, I mean, helping the, the ecosystem just being more efficient and uh, being faster and, and having a solution they do not have today. And for our, for your second question, for our future, um, for the future of our, let's say, kids, I, well, I, I truly believe that we have, um, that we have, let's say, um, both, let's say, worlds a bit combined. One, one is the, let's say, the, the real and the physical world with the, the touch and feel, the empathy, the, the meeting and, and, and doing things in, in, in this way. And on the other side, I do see technology really enabling, I mean, us all being much more independent and having as well the means to, to go a step further. Yeah. If, if I just see, see the mobile standard from G to 2, 3, 4G, 4, 5G, I mean, what is happening here? The, the CPU is basically enabling us stepping up and up and up. I mean, right now with 5G, uh, IoT starts with 6G, uh, 6G IoT will be just faster. And mm. uh, let's say the the evolution will just, let's say, uh, massively increase here. Yeah? So I'm, I'm really curious to see. I hope we use uh, technology in a, let's say, maybe in a human way. Mm. And in the same sense that, that we all have as well the, let's say, the coming together and all the physical elements and the interaction, which we, by the way, um, really need. Yeah, great. And Mark, maybe as, uh, yeah, well, same question or questions for the closing remarks in this regard, please. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I completely concur with what Martin said. I would add, I don't think that purpose is a key driver of business is going to go away. I think it's going to get stronger and stronger. You know, a lot of the battle of the next few years is going to be squaring off the value equation between purpose and making profit. Um, and we've got to find a way to do both. But if I was starting a startup now, I would say doing so without being mindful of that massive societal shift, which I think is going on towards people demanding that companies contribute to society positively, apart from just the money dimension. I don't think that's going away. That looks to me like a broad-based social movement. And you may not be able to hire. You may, you may say, well, people will still buy things they want, um, regardless of the purpose of the company. And that, that's cynical, but may be true. But what I think is definitely the case is that you won't be able to hire the best employees if you can't demonstrate a set of values which they can relate to. And that definitely is shifting. And I think it, in many ways, employees are becoming, are becoming possibly a stronger voice in driving purpose than customers are. 
because uh, customers are a one remove. And at the end of a transaction, employees are right there in the machinery. Um, I think the next thing I would single out is what some people are describing as a democratization of access to all sorts of tools, which allow you to do, to create new things. And I think this speaks to DIY innovation. Um, it also speaks to some extent to Roblox because effectively they're creating platforms where people can build things for themselves. And I think increasingly young people expect to be able to do that. Um, you know, and, and I think if you take a line direct out of Minecraft and through Roblox into the future, you can see younger people like my son who's 14 growing up, understanding that digital can give them the tools to create all sorts of stuff and thinking about how they make things and their ability to innovate in entirely different ways. And then lastly, I would probably say, I'm tempted to say, if you, if you, have, a, if you have the choice about what startup you start up, I would say go for health right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, health is going to be a booming industry for years to come. Years. And, and, and COVID has sealed that. Um, you know, we, we wrote during COVID, every business is now a health business. And I, I, I still firmly believe that's mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. um, but just a bit more subtle than that is the blurring of lines between industries is also important. So look for things which actually happen at the intersection of industries. That's, I think, what Peloton has done. It's both fitness and entertainment in one thing. And that's really smart. And there are huge opportunities there. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks a lot. That really sums it up very nicely. Thanks a lot to both of you, Martin and Mark. I uh, really appreciate enlightening us on how you look at the future in terms of innovation and uh, yeah, what role entrepreneurs can play in that sense uh, yeah, in order to hopefully build a very optimistic future for our today's children that then will hopefully be the innovators of tomorrow. We hope you had fun listening to this episode of In Conversation with by Silicon Luxembourg, brought to you in partnership with Accenture Luxembourg. If you want to find out more about the Fjord Trends, make sure to visit accenture.com slash Fjord Trends 21. Until next time, take care.